0: And this is actually the way that wealth is built and the way wealth is created. When I'm offering a good or service that people value more than they value their money and I'm able to make a profit for my good or service, that's how I create wealth. I create wealth by giving a good and service that enough people want that I'm making enough money along the way. You don't become wealthy in a truly free market or capitalistic system unless you're offering something that's going to bless billions or millions of people.
1: Welcome to Money Vision You. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision You, class in session. So, yeah, have dove into the history. Let's take a more modern day uh, and, and look at kind of different things going on. And I, I really would just want to start by defining um, some of these terms that are being thrown around and talked about some. Maybe you're hearing it on the news. Maybe you're seeing it on social media. And for me, from a money vision, you financial perspective, I, I want listeners to know what each one is and then mm-hmm. they can decide what is the best form. And you can and Tim is here to give us the history of how each one may have tried and maybe failed or maybe tried and succeeded. And that's what Tim can help help out with. But I know Tim uh, also is big into finances. So just starting with capitalism, what is your simplest like break down that in, in the simplest terms you can for listeners?
0: So first of all, I would love to point out, I don't have a dictionary in front of me and I feel like this would have been really, I, I should have, right? Just pulled up some dictionary definitions to make this super simple uh, because one of the things I do want to be careful of is uh, in kind of a world and culture where people think that truth is relative and this is what it means to me, there actually are proper definitions of these things. And so it shouldn't be totally subjective. Well, here's what I think it is or should be. No, th- like these are actual to your point, right? These are actual economic structures that function a certain way. And so uh, I, I'm saying this is a caveat because uh, I, I do not have these dictionary definitions memorized and I might uh, misrepresent slightly sure. on some of these. It's and, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, there's probably people listening. They're that like, that's not exactly what that is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get really as close as I can as we go. But capitalism is really a, uh, a, a profit reward structure system. Right Where we know in in the reality of goods and services um, that in a a free market and we're saying capitalism capitalism and free market are slightly different, but they they really are like twin sisters right like they work hand in hand together um. Capitalism, one, unfortunately, there are many people that have a negative view because of some of the cronyism that has happened in the name of capitalism, where the government has helped fund winners and losers and, and you know, done some mm-hmm. of these provisions and funding measures along the way. But the, the, the very simple idea of capitalism is in a, a free market economy without government interference and control. It's just the exchange of goods and services on a voluntary basis at an agreed upon amount. And so no one can coerce me. Right. So to so Stuart, it, right. Looking at one of your maybe apartments or homes, and you're like, hey, man, you can have it for fifteen hundred dollars a month. And I'm going, hey, in this economy, like I want that because that's a beautiful home. Fifteen hundred dollars a month. Perfect. That, that's not coercive. But if in the midst of this, right, if we have a negotiation of a contract and I'm like, hey, man, uh, you know, I, I, I can only do thirteen fifty a month. And Sue's like, man, I, you know, to cover what I put into this and to cover my expenses that I got to cover for this, I need at least 1400. We can negotiate, but, but there's no coercive element in this. And at the end, if we agree on the exchange of what in, in right, in, in capitalism, we've kind of, in America, we've agreed on, on a dollar, so to speak. Right. But Realistically, it could be anything I could say, Hey man, I you know, I will trade you my car or I've got this horse or I've got some chickens or eggs. It could be anything, but it's a voluntary exchange for a good or service. And if, if both sides are happy at the end, then this, this is the idea of capitalism. It's, it's, it's something that I have decided that what you are offering is better for me than my horse or my car or my chickens or my eggs or my $1,400 a month. This is the nature of capitalism. And, and one of the crazy things about the misunderstanding of, of, a, of a true capitalistic system, and again, this is, this is without the government interference, is in a true capitalistic system or a true free market system, is you, you actually cannot cheat people and rip people off in this system. Why? Because if I don't like it, I don't have to do it. There has to be a voluntary interaction where there's a mutual agreement at the end of this. And what also was worth noting is if you see somebody who is incredibly wealthy in a true free market, a true capitalist system, how are they wealthy? They're actually wealthy because they blessed the greatest amount of people. Cause they offered something that enough people said, man, I really want that. Cause, cause that's going to benefit. That's going to improve my life. I want that. And when enough people want something you are offering, that's going to benefit. That's going to bless their life. It's going to improve their life. Then you are making that much more money. And this is something that also in a, a free market capitalistic system, it doesn't matter if you are male or you're female. It doesn't matter what color your skin is because like, I have a smartphone right beside me right now. On my smartphone, I have dozens and dozens of apps and many of them I have purchased. I have no idea who designed the app. I just know that I would rather have the app than $4.99. I'd rather have the app, right, than Mm -hmm. $0.99 or $1.99. It was worth it to me. That exchange And in a free market, you are rewarded not for the color of your skin, not for your gender, you are rewarded for what you are producing or offering, right? The good or the service, the exchange that takes place, it's a voluntary exchange, it's not coercive, but when you come up with an idea, when you come up with a good or a service, and you can exchange that from somebody for something in your mind of value or of equal value, and this is also important because the government does not get to determine for individuals what is an equal value for them, because, maybe right for my wife and I, we might have a neighbor who raises chickens or who has cows. And you know, every year they might, they might slaughter one of their cows and they offer us a side of beef. And I'm like, Hey man, I will totally come build your fence. I will come right. Mow your lawn. I'll do whatever for the exchange. It doesn't always have to be money, but it does need to be something that there is a mutual agreement of the value of the exchange. And at the end of the exchange, both sides are happy. That is the idea of capitalism. And this is actually the way that wealth is built and the way wealth is created. When I'm offering a good or service that people value more than they value their money and I'm able to make a profit for my good or service, that's how I create wealth. I create wealth by giving a good and service that enough people want that I'm making enough money along the way. You don't become wealthy in a truly free market or capitalistic system unless you're offering something that's going to bless billions or millions of people, right? Like Elon Musk. Right. Tesla Mm -hmm. has made a lot of money because he came up with a, a product that people were so impressed with. They're willing to pay, right? However many tens of thousands of dollars for based on whatever of his Tesla vehicles he gets. Well, he came up with something that people are willing to voluntarily exchange their money for this good or service. That's how he became incredibly wealthy. Now, some people might argue again, right? With our modern culture is we do know that sometimes the government will play Favorites, right? They'll, they'll pick their, cause it's sometimes politicians, they'll, they'll pick their friends or their family or their cousins and they want to give them the contract. They want to reward that business. Well, then if people don't like that, what you don't like is corruption. It's not capitalism that you don't like. Mm-hmm. It's corruption that you don't like. And nobody should like corruption. All of us should be against corruption. But the problem is not the free market or capitalism. It's the corruption that people are putting into the system. It's not the system itself.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good definition there to me. I, and I've had an episode talking about this in a capitalistic uh, economic structure. You could say that a synonym for money is value. And so if you want to make money, if you used that as a, if you use the synonym of value, you could you could replace that sentence of I want to make more money with I want to add more value because the money will follow the value. And that's essentially what you're saying, because you mentioned my fi- my 1,500 potentially Airbnb or whatever it is per month for a travel nurse or something like that. Well, what my job is to give value to a customer or to a consumer. What if there is another Airbnb just down the road that looks a little bit nicer that is 1,450? Well, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to figure out how to compete if I want to gain occupancy, and so it a capitalistic, you know, market allows for those scenarios. So, and I think it's important to add free market capitalism uh, because, like you mentioned, it with government interfering. To me, if I was just giving more synonyms here, I guess that's what I'm doing today. Free market. A uh, synonym or, I guess, analogy for that would be free of government. No government interference uh, is what free market would mean. And then capitalism, I would almost use a synonym uh, a synonym as uh, competition. So you have this private comp- competition that's going on within a country that is free of government interference. So the government is not choosing who wins and loses. That's when you, you've you seen, and unfortunately, that's when we've seen big banks get bailed out or things like that. Mm-hmm. Going back to like the 2008 recession, big banks got bailed out. If it's free market, then those don't get bailed out. Everyone can fail. Uh, not just the little guys like me trying to build a business or something like that. The big guys can fail too. And while they may be having investors' money, that's part of free market capitalism. You got to let those things figure itself out and things like that. So to me, the more financially literate I become the more I'm for free market capitalism Yes, because the more I know, the more I see opportunities and the more opportunities I see, I'm seeing opportunities of how I can make money, how I can grow my wealth and things like that. But if we have another structure that is interfering with what I'm trying to do and I'm not just free to create, Mm. free to build, then uh, it caps what I can do. And it probably caps my effort on how Mm. much I'm going to add value to and economy or to a country like amazon you know the the dude's rich because everyone amazon's everything and so that's why uh not elon uh Jeff jeff bezos gained his uh wealth it's because he added value to people and he wasn't born into this wealth uh you know he built his way from i think he was in a garage working in the 90s and all that stuff and over time commitment consistency found a product, created a product that um, mm. helps a lot of people, obviously, since like over 50% of online sales are from Amazon now. <laughs> so he's done <laughs> it, something it, right there. <laughs> and it's crazy. know, one of the things too, in capitalism, as you pointed out,
0: people should have the ability to fail. And I mean, probably everybody listening right now, I mean, Sue, I know for both you and I, some of the greatest lessons we have learned have been the hardest lessons we've learned. And that was learning through failure, where we tried something and we're like, oh, yeah. God, you know, that, that was awful, it sucked, that did not work. But you learn from that and, and you're able to right pick yourself up and you're okay, so I'm gonna go forward, I'm gonna solve some of those problems, I'm gonna do things differently. And this is part of what competition is about, as you also mentioned in capitalism. Capitalism encourages competition and competition actually makes things better. You can look at any industry you want. Right now, if we talk about cell phone providers or internet providers or cable providers, right? I mean, there didn't used to be, these, these YouTube TV kind of options, right? Like there was one cable provider or initially, right? There was only a few stations on on a TV. And then somebody said, Hey, let's offer more stations. Competition makes things better. And if, if people are not able to keep up and compete, then ultimately they're not able to thrive or survive in that market. Now where there is a balance is unfortunately, sometimes the government does play winners and losers and the government does Kind of as a side note, and I don't mean to derail, but I would argue that there can be no monopoly if it's not encouraged, incentivized and protected by the government, because in a true capitalist free market system, you will always have a competitor because there always will be someone who can make things a little better or a little cheaper, right? Because where you compete is with quality and with your price right? Mm -hmm. And so you're going to value on a couple different areas. And so maybe somebody's cheaper than you, but you have a better value. And there are certainly people who are like, I'd rather pay for a higher quality item. That's a little more expensive than just the cheaper item. But as competition happens, you learn to make your more valuable resource at a cheaper level. And this is where competition just makes the entire market better. And where there is not competition, usually there's not competition because of government regulation or protection on some level. But when there's not competition, that's when you have the bigger issues. And and that's not truly a free market. That is a a government interference in the market. And then you get much more into cronyism than you are into capitalism.
1: Yeah. Just think of if you have one basketball team and they don't have any other competition, how how motivated (laughs) are they going to be really to practice but you throw nine other teams in there and they got to win the championship they're going to be a little bit more motivated to work hard and uh and and grow and whatnot so capitalism we define it you know free market capitalism government's not interfering in is what we want in free market capitalism even though they kind of intervene sometimes but uh free from government interference and then you have a competition structure for Buying, trading, and selling goods is is essentially capitalism. So now in socialism, we've we've talked about a little bit, and let me see if I summarize this correctly. Socialism, in, in a sense, is where we try to level the playing field. So no matter how hard or how little you work, everyone makes the same. So maybe you do come from a background where you don't come from wealth, you don't come from whatever it is lower uh social economic area you know it, it's going to try and balance the playing field for everyone that is in a sense socialism now are there what other countries can you point to that are <clears throat> doing social or have a socialist economic structure and maybe you have history on how those countries <clears throat> have done with socialism uh as their form of economic structure
0: Yeah. So so along those lines, right in socialism, um, socialism is not just taking care of people because this is one of the big misunderstandings in our our modern culture is there's a lot of good hearted people who just say, hey, I want to make sure right people are able to live and survive and function. And, And this is like kind of promoted as a socialistic ideology. A socialistic philosophy is we, if you care for people, you should be a socialist. Well, that's not exactly what socialism is because in socialism, the government actually controls the means of production and, and the government controls even distribution. And so imagine right? If the government tells you where you can work or where you can't work, imagine if the government tells you how much you have to produce and, and where you have to send your goods or resources. Well, that would be crazy to have the government tell us to do that. That's actually what socialism is, is the government controlling on some level. And what the government says is, right, we're going to control in this distribution who gets how much. And it, it's, it's a little, a little bit along the lines of, let me give an analogy of if you've ever been to a zoo, uh right at the animals in the zoo all of the animals are taken care of and all of the animals are given uh food based on right how much that animal needs and what it needs to sustain itself but who determines who gets how much food well it's a zookeeper right the zookeeper is the one who looks down and wants to take care so to speak right quote unquote i want to take care oh, of the animals in, in every single socialist communistic, Marxist, fascist nation, there is always going to be a zookeeper. And the question we should ask if, if people are promoting socialism, well, who's going to be in charge of the distribution? Because if you're in charge of the distribution, what we have seen every single time historically is the people in charge of the distribution are not angels. So what they do is they take care of themselves the best and then, right, they, they give things to other people. But this is why if you look in, in truly socialistic nations, Venezuela, go back two decades. They were one of the wealthiest nations, economically speaking, right? They're one of the top economic producers in the world. And if you go up to the late 90s, early 2000s, they decide that they the, the people say, hey, we, we want to have more of the wealth of the nation because they saw there were people becoming very productive. And the people who weren't, as financially productive, got jealous and said, right. Instead of saying we will change our lifestyle, our behavior, we will get a different job that actually pays more. We'll get a different skill set that we can add more value to society and be rewarded for that value more. Right? So if you are a doctor, if you're a heart surgeon, you should be paid more than if you are changing the oil on my car, right? Like you should be paid more than if you are the pizza delivery guy. And I have nothing against oil change and pizza delivery guys. I appreciate all of you very much i love pizza and i need oil in my car so Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you for your service that is great but it's a different level of value than if you are a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon it's totally different and so you are rewarded based on the value you are adding and the skill set you have and the fact that fewer people can do the skill set that you have that fewer people can do that job therefore you are rewarded in a greater proportion there were people who said that's not fair that they're making more. We should all make the same, even though we don't all have the same skill set, even though we don't all produce or provide the same level of value, we should all make the same amount of money. And in the midst of that, they begin voting in these socialistic ideas and, and Venezuela, literally over the last couple of years, they have become one of the poorest places in the world they're dealing with starvation they turned uh, in their streets they began eating their cats and dogs right they they had incredible shortages of basic supplies of bread or toilet paper things that used to this was a thriving economy but people in venezuela who used to make the bread they said well why should i go and work at the factory right? I, I, you should just reward me because I'm a person and I live. I shouldn't have to work to get a reward. Just give me a reward and I don't want to have to work. This is what socialism produces. When, when you begin telling people that you will reward them, you will take care of them for not having a job, right? This is what happens at the zoo, right? The zookeeper says, we're going to take care of everybody, no matter who you are, or what you do. And this is also along the lines of there's people arguing and advocating for the universal basic income that everybody should be given 20,000, 30,000, $40,000. Even if you don't have a job, everybody should make a certain amount of money. Well, well, where are you going to get that money from? Well, are you going to tax more people or are you going to print more dollars, which means more inflation, which devalues the dollar? Like how are you going to do this? The government cannot create wealth. All they can do is redistribute wealth or all they can do is devalue the dollar. That's that's all Mm -hmm. government can do. But in socialism, it is definitely something that the government steps in as a zookeeper saying, we wanna take care of all the animals and trust us, we will take care of you. That this is the things we're hearing advocated right now, even in the government in America of let the government take care of you. Historically, governments have never ever, not even one time been good providers. And every single nation, and this is something I would challenge everybody listening, right? Find me one nation that after they embraced socialism, they actually increased their nation's productivity and their nation's prosperity. You will never find an example of that because every time they embrace socialism, they are negatively impacted in their prosperity and their personal freedoms or personal liberties that the the nation does worse. And some people want to point to places uh like Sweden and Denmark and Norway and or even in England, right? Canada. And they're like, look, they have they have socialism there because look at their healthcare system. Socialized medicine is not the same thing as a socialistic economic structure. They're different conversations, although. Even in socialized medicine, it's worth noting that the, the people who are have money in those nations who want good procedures done, they actually fly to places like America where they can pay doctors to have good procedures. Because if you, for example, are over in England, I mean, people literally like hip transplants, knee replacements, they will come to America because in America in a free market system, right if you are able to pay for something of value if you are willing to do an exchange of goods and there's an agreement on the exchange where both sides agree right this is worth i what i'm what you are offering is worth what i'm willing to pay they're able to get that done that's a voluntary exchange again that that's what happens in a free market system and socialized medicine they actually have boards that will play winners and losers they actually choose who gets what procedure or how long you have to wait for the procedure socialized medicine is the argument that it takes care of everybody well i understand your argument but it's still not the best structure or the best system because even in america where people argue but but people can't get health care they can't get resources Anybody, this is a terrible way to do it, but it's true. Anybody can go to emergency room, even if you don't have insurance, even if you can't pay. And by law, emergency rooms are required to help take care of whatever financial emergency you have. Now, that's a terrible way to do it because emergency rooms are way more expensive than if you go to mm-hmm. a quick care clinic. So that's a terrible way to do it. I Like, don't take this idea and be like, hey, like Tim and Stuart talked about, we should just go to the emergency room. We don't have insurance. It's no problem. That's a terrible way to do it right? Go to a quick care clinic, do a a cash uh, system. It's cheaper than even having insurance in many situations. But even in America, we do have a structure in place where if there's people that are really in need, they can get the help they need. It is a, a lying and a false sales pitch when people say, if we had socialism, everybody's taken care of. And socialism, the only thing that everybody has is we have an equal share of misery and an equal share of poverty. No socialist nation has
1: ever become more productive, more prosperous, and more free. You're not able to rise to the top in socialism uh, and really build something for yourself. So like uh, Jeff Bezos probably wouldn't have been able to create a- Amazon, in a so- nor would he have the motivation to create Amazon because why should I – add so much value to other people, this product that everyone's going to love and people are going to buy, why should I do that if I'm capped at whatever income or this amount is going to be taxed? Because what's the point of making a million dollars in a year if 700,000 of it is taxed? I know that's a pretty aggressive example there, but I mean, you get in uh, what, I can't remember the tax bracket, but it's like 40 to 50% that gets starts getting taxed. That's very aggressive. And so- well- And to
0: that point, like, you know, Denmark is one of these places people point to, like, look how good they are and they have socialized medicine. If you are wealthy in Denmark, it's a 68% tax rate. So like, that's literally the example you're using. That's Denmark, where people are like, but but it's so good because they have socialized medicine in Denmark. They also pay nearly seventy cents of every dollar in taxes if you are wealthy in Denmark. That that's not the way you want to live your life. You want to be rewarded for blessing more people for being more productive. You don't want to be penalized and have all your wealth taken away.
1: Yeah, why why work so hard? To, so just to put it into math, I mean, if you make a million dollars and you seventy percent of that is tax, you make three hundred thousand. Okay. Well, what if someone makes three hundred thousand, and they're only taxed—I don't know, whatever percentage—but so they net, call it two hundred thousand. Well, why should I work that much harder to be a millionaire if I'm only going to make a hundred thousand dollars more than I am right now? In, in a sense, kind of putting that into math perspective, and so I think it, you mentioned it. A lot of the socialist stuff, it really is, you know, the heart of taking care of people, which I totally understand of you want to take care of people that are sick and, you know, medicine and things like that are expensive. Or, you know, you want to take care of maybe businesses that struggled like when COVID came, you know, things were shut down and that's another you know, topic for another time. But then, you know, you get stimulus money and things like that. But all that is government funded. And anytime you start to get that government funded money. I've always actually you you mentioned zookeeper I think of myself like a fish in an ocean if I'm in a free market capitalism uh structure because I can go swim and do whatever I want but the more taxes that I have uh social you know social care social security more things that I'm having to pay uh, as as a c- citizen in taxes the smaller my fish tank gets mm-hmm. so I'm still swimming but I don't have as far that I can go. I'm kind of constricted to this certain cage that I have, and that's kind of how I view taxes. So that's why I'm very wary of when we start to do things like stimulus money and, and yep. whatever it is. Well, and you know, Stu, it's worth
0: noting too, that a lot of people that that are buying the idea of the philosophy of socialism, it, it's, it really is, there's so many people with a good heart and they want to take care of people and they don't recognize, like, why why is healthcare so expensive? You want to know why? Because the government got involved, right? Before mm-hmm. Obamacare, it, it was thirty percent. Literally, the cost of healthcare was thirty percent of the average cost of what it is now. So, imagine if you were only paying thirty percent of the cost of what you're paying now; it would be so much cheaper. Correct? Things are way cheaper and often work way better when the government doesn't interfere. Because when the government interferes, then they have to assign all of these agents. And they have this department, and right, the Department of Health and Human Services. How many hundreds of thousands of people are they paying? So so guess why it's more expensive because now our tax dollars have to pay for hundreds of thousands more people that are eating up those tax dollars before it even reaches the intended target. The more the government interferes in many of these situations, the more they mess things up because the government wasn't designed to, to take care of some of these functions that we are currently asking the government to do. If we would remove the government from some of these situations and scenarios, it would make things way cheaper. Why is the housing market so crazy right now? Actually there's a lot of government overhead oversight and expenses of what you have to do to, to check the boxes for your government approval of regulations and uh, your permits and all the things you have to do. Like literally, Homes are crazy expensive right now, but imagine if you only had to pay 75% of the cost of a home because you don't have to do all these government fees along the way. This is the point worth noting that a lot of people look to government to be the solution and the solver of problems, failing to recognize that more times than not, when the government gets involved in these scenarios, they create more problems than they solve.
1: Yeah, First with the cost. I mean, even going back to stimulus money, some people got that and and it just was spent. You know, some people didn't really need the stimulus money. And I I actually have an episode that talked about was the 2020 stimulus money worth it. But what that did financially from a financial standpoint is it did inflate the cost of, you know, what people were buying, which a lot of people were buying home goods stuff because they ended up do you know couldn't go on vacation during covid and things like that so price of lumber went up well we already had shut down the supply but then we actually the demand would not have increased as much as it did if we did not have something like the stimulus checks that went out so the de- Correct. one we shut down the it's all about supply and demand so we already shut down the supply then we increased the demand and so then we got this inflated cost of all the stuff and then that causes different prices to stick. And then not uh, on top of the the cost that you're talking about. What, what is something that, well, it's a rhetorical question, but what is something that the government runs that is very efficient and they do it very well, like the DMV. Well, going back to my one basketball team analogy, they don't have anyone to compete with. So if they don't have anyone to compete with, which is what capitalism is, they're not held to a higher standard. They're the only one in business. So if they slack on their customer service, if they slack on responding to calls like the IRS does, and my CPA always tells me, just impossible to get in contact with the IRS agent. If they slack on that, it's no big deal. There's no one that they're competing with. So that's where the government can also struggle is with the efficiency. But that is not the goal of a capitalist society, uh, e- economic structure, really. And maybe you can speak to this, too for me as a citizen, what I really want my government to do is protect me. That's what I want yeah. them to do. I want good defense. I want, I do want, you know, uh, although you could say that roads and things like that and infrastructure really should be private. A lot of that stuff could just be private and take care of, you know, because you'd have competition, you'd have people rise and be able to build good roads, build good bridges, things like that. But I definitely want the government to protect me with defense, with military uh, things like that. Uh, but that, that is to me the main thing. And if people want to argue for schools and things like that, I, I do think literacy and things like that, even though when it starts going public and when it starts going, uh, government kind of structure, things can go out of whack. But I do think, I do think things are very beneficial with things like literacy and teaching that to to students and having a literate society, because when you're not literate, people can take advantage of you, which is what you saw from even like the Roman Catholic Church with different religions have done that, different governments have done that, different countries have done that where they took advantage of people not being literate. And so I think that's a definitely important thing to do. But I don't know if there's any other things for a government to kind of have that that, that you're thinking of outside of that. But those are to me are the two main things.
0: No, I, I totally agree. You know, one of the things when you look back to the founding fathers, if you read the Declaration of Independence, where the founding fathers um, said that, like, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That like, there's basic truths that we all agree on. That all men are created equal. They're endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights: life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So the founding father said, what What is the purpose? Why are governments instituted to protect our God-given rights? Well, mm-hmm. James Madison actually said that one of our inalienable rights was the right to make a profit and to be as productive as we can. So anytime the government comes to interfere with our right of productivity, our right of creativity to create a profit or even, I mean, this is a side note, we said this should be another episode, right? But like, if the government's gonna come and tell me, I can't run my business, because there's a a pandemic, I I have to shut things down. And and, in some places, right, where they shut businesses down for more than a year, like this is crazy. The government's yeah, job forget. is actually to protect that God-given right, those inalienable rights the founding fathers identified, not the least of which, right, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. If you go to the Bill of Rights where the founding father said there's a whole bunch more rights that the government can never infringe upon your freedom of speech your freedom of religion, your freedom to assemble or petition or the, the freedom of the press, the right of self-defense and self-preservation, they go through all these rights the government can never interfere with, which to your points do, then the government's real role is to protect our rights, protect our freedoms. Well, how do we do that? We actually need. A, a strong military that can protect us from any kind of forces that would come and try to take our freedoms away. It's also worth arguing that maybe we should even have some protection on the Southern border, because if you don't know who's coming across the Southern border, right? We, we don't know what's happening or how much fentanyl or the cartel or right. Terrorists, like we don't have any idea. Like maybe we should have some level of security, but it goes back to the idea. Why? Because the government's job is to protect us and our rights. And then to your second point, when When you look at the very first educational law that was passed in america was passed in 1647 in connecticut it was called the old deluder satan act and it was an education law where they said that if if you have a community of more than 50 people you're required to have a school and you have to teach kids to read but part of why they wanted them to read was so that they would first of all know the laws of god but once they knew the laws of god they would know things that were moral and right and wrong and then when they knew it was moral they would be able to ensure that no immoral laws were ever passed That would take away some of their inalienable or God-given rights is the argument they make. So why would we encourage, to your point, public education on some level that we want there to be literacy so that people are actually educated enough to recognize what should be the role of government, what should be the limitations of government, and how do we make sure there's checks and balances to keep government control so they can't infringe on, as James Madison said, our right to make a profit and be as productive as we can. Man, what a great thought that the government should never interfere with that God given right, which of course is a major battle for us in so many ways today for people that have tried to be entrepreneurs and start things up. Like, ah, there is so much paperwork, right? There's so many things you got to do to get some kind of business license or to get approval, you know, for Airbnbs, depending on where you live, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to go in and you're going to do some kind of renovation or restoration, if you're going to do a remodel, all of the compliant things you have to do that like it can be a headache along the way government should actually be trying to make things easier for us instead of creating a greater burden for us because their main job is to protect our rights according to the founding fathers
1: yeah you'll find people are more productive when uh, they, the the <laughs> there's not as much interference and things like that but yeah i mean just kind of as we're wrapping up here literacy to me super important because it empowers you once you you got under you got to be able to read write, do do math you ain't, Got to be able to do calculus, but uh, do math, uh, underwrite a deal, understand business, understand income expense, expenses, things like that. Literary, literacy is super important. But then to me, the next level of that is financial literacy is super important because then you start to understand in these economic structures when you may be taken advantage of. Things sound good on the media or social media or the news or whatever it is, but the more financially literate you get, or as I like to say, the sharper your money vision starts to get the more you start to see how different things may not benefit you. And so when I see taxes, um, more taxes and more inflation, I mean, the quotes that automatically come to my mind, like Karl Marx, you know, with Marxism and communism and socialism, things like that. He said, the way to kill capitalism is by taxes, taxes, and more taxes. And then Vladimir Lenin, who kind of followed in his footsteps, talked about the way to kill capitalism is basically inflation and taxes. And so um, those are things that I'm always watching out for because when I, hear about those my mind goes to my fish tank is getting smaller And I don't want a small fish tank. I want to be able to swim. I want to be able to go uh, and create and do and uh, be rewarded for the different things I I want to do. Because if I'm not, then screw it. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to work that hard just out of the goodness of my heart to uh, renovate a unit or something like that. That's tough work Uh, and and whatever it may be. And so, um, yeah, anyways, just that's just kind of wrapping it up. Any other final words of wisdom? We've really just kind of talked about capitalism and uh, socialism. And uh, we can say of communism, fascism, which is really just the extreme of, I guess, mm-hmm. both of those ideologies. But um, any other final words or uh, thoughts that you have kind of from the Money Vision you audience?
0: Yeah, I think one of the 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 very great principles as we talk about this, and and you're right, we really kind of stuck more with capitalistic uh, ideas, ideology, philosophy, economic structure. Looked a little bit at socialism, but whether we talked about socialism or Marxism or communism or fascism, they're they're all rooted in one idea, which is a greater government. And what you will see historically, what you will see consistently, even in the modern era, is the greater the government, the greater the poverty. The greater the freedom the greater the wealth. And this is why capitalism, the free market economic system is the greatest opportunity for people to be the most productive, to bless the most people and to become the wealthiest. Because when you have more freedom, you can get and have more wealth.
1: Great point. Yep, yeah, definitely. So true. The bigger the government, the less freedom and smaller the government, the more freedom. So awesome. Well, this has been an awesome podcast. One, just talking about the history of it. I I mean, you can't get a you can't get a podcast with Tim and not have a history lesson. That's for sure. And So uh, it's just in his nature. It just, it's, it's like speaking history is the same as speaking English. Uh, and so, awesome history lesson. And then kind of talking about the just seeing where capital, capitalism came from and how it was kind of started out and got integrated into America. Uh, but then just talking about capitalism, socialism, things like that. How can listeners just kind of closing down here? How can how can listeners follow what you guys are doing?
0: Yeah, so we obviously spend most of our time with American history. If people want to know more, they can go to wallbuilders.com. Uh, we have so many original documents that they actually can uh, get online and click and, and see that some of those high res images. We have a museum set up in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. They can find out more about that online. And then we're all over social media uh, as well. We have a radio show that we cover a lot of current events and topics and we do it from a biblical, historical and constitutional perspective. And so lots of ways people can, can stay, uh, in touch with us along the way, but wallbuilders.com is probably the easiest place to go.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Well. Well, we will put those in the show notes and thanks for coming on the podcast and we'll definitely have to have you on in the future. Man, Stewart, always a pleasure to be with you, buddy. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching you in the next class.